Scott Show, ESPN Lafayette, the best ticket in sports. Coming at you on a Give Me All You Got Friday. I feel like it's been a while since I've chatted with him on these airwaves, but Gus Catgill joining us from the road. He was on the way to the beach with his family, and yet he's that good of a friend that he is making time this morning to talk a little Saints and Pels with us, our Saints Intelligence Correspondent. Gus, I would open up and ask you about the uh, Hall of Fame game last night. If I thought anyone actually cared, they don't. They were just happy to see uniforms on TV. The game itself didn't mean anything. So I'll open up by asking you this, man. What's what's beach life like? How is vacation with the family? Uh, Looking forward to it, man, Uh, for sure. And it's one of those things where it's kind of like once you uh, see the sand, smell the water, kind of just, uh, you know, breathe that fresh air. <laughs> so um, it's, it's, it's needed. I, I can definitely tell you that. Therapeutic, man. It's good to get off the clock every now and then. So I'm sorry to have you talking workshop on your way to the beach. But um, before before I, I ask you a few things about the Saints and, you know, Tyron Matthew missing the first six practices but coming back and who's looking good and, and all this other stuff and big, nasty Trevor Penning, real quick, on the Pelicans, there actually is a date coming up that's worth noting. So August 8th marks this, the, the I, I guess, six months since the McCollum-Larry Nance trade from Portland, which means they are both then eligible to sign extensions with the Pelicans. Now, McCollum's got two years left. He's 31. Nance turns 30 on New Year's Day. He's got one year left on his deal. What should their approach be to both of these guys? Because on one hand, you could you could offer McCollum almost like three-year extension at nearly $140 million. Now he's not worth that, but you've got the, the you know the, the next TV contract coming up in a few years, the uh salary cap luxury tack, you're expecting it to increase a little bit. Nance is kind of the perfect backup to an offensive-minded Jonas Valanciunas. He could play the four and the five off the bench, but he has a little bit of an injury history. Like it's, I know that this isn't at the top of the list, but you are a Saints and Pelicans correspondent. What should the team's approach be to to these two guys who have both stated they want to be in New Orleans for a while? They want to, you know, I mean, CJ said he wants to finish his career there. Larry says I definitely want to extend. How should the Pels approach this? <laughs> Man, I, I think I'm kind of okay with where the contract is, considering he's got two years and stuff. Um, with, with DJ, I really like Nance's, I guess, place on this team. I, I, you know, it's one of the reasons we were talking about what were they going to do in the offseason in terms of moving some roster spots in order to maybe free up some of that money or even roster spots to begin with. And, of course, we're speaking still of Devontae Graham, still on the team, obviously Jackson Hayes. I I just think 
probably going to kind of let and, and wait to see still what happens to Kevin Durant. Scott, I mean, we're, you know, it's essentially football season now, and we still haven't seen anything, which kind of gives me, you know, more reason to believe that I think the Nets may do the same thing. Hey, we'll, we'll see in September and October, and let's see what happens. And, and kind of go from there. I think the trade deadline may also be a situation to do that. Look, I think there's a good understanding between the organization and those players. I think, as you and I have talked about in the past, in a short, short amount of time, the fact that I bring up the fact that McCollum is almost like a breeze-like figure in that locker room and on this organization, Scott, if, if CJ's agent hinted or said, hey, look, Maybe we need to secure you here for another three to four years. And it may have been the, the other way around. I mean, obviously, I think these are probably discussions that were made, at least on, on CJ's standpoint, Scott, probably the trade when that happened. You know, it, that was probably discussed. I mean, players of that magnitude making that kind of money with so many years remaining on the contract, for the franchise's sake, they probably want to know, hey, we got you probably closer to four years than the two. And when you look at the Zion extension, that would make sense, Scott. I mean, so I, I see why you're asking because I could totally see a two-year extension to make sure, like BI, like everybody else, you're, you're tied with Zion's contract, and then you reevaluate where everybody's at when everybody's, you know, deal is up in and around that, that, that period. So it wouldn't surprise me at all. And, and obviously Larry Nance is not going to be the same type of contract extension you're going to give to C.J. McCullough, but... It makes sense. I definitely think it's, you know, one of those things where it's a, a, a centerpiece and, like I said, a, a breeze-like position on this team. So it, it probably makes sense for both sides. Hey, I got a little bit more security for two more years, guaranteed cash. If I'm CJ, if I'm the organization, I know I got you for two more years. And let's just go make a run here over the next four. ESP and Lafayette, best ticket in sports. Gus Kangel, our guest. I think, I think McCollum would be open to working with the Pelicans on a number that that both sides might feel is comfortable um, signing. But you know, it's it's a business at the end of the day. Thirty million or so for McCollum at age thirty four, maybe thirty five, might seem like a big haul uh, right now. But you know, what's the NBA market going to look like? I mean, that again. The, the next TV contract in 2024, I think, is when it hits, you know, it pushes the cap up. And, and you're seeing more high-level players sign extensions right now and unrestricted free cl- free agent classes. It's, it's, it's different than it used to be, right? They're not as, you know, th- this offseason in the NBA, aside from Durant requesting a trade, which has not happened, it wasn't the... Um, man, it was salacious, probably the wrong word. I, I I can't think of the right word for it. But it just it wasn't. There was a whole lot more sizzle than steak by the end of it, right? There was a lot of hype, but there wasn't this constant movement and the the gigantic. I, I guess my point is, lately the trend has been more. Hey, if you're a really good player, you sign the extension as opposed to wait and hit unrestricted free agency. Um, and, and I think. Uh, you know, Nance, I think you can wait until maybe during the next season and kind of get a feel for what I think you want to get a feel for how both are going to look with Zion in there. And speaking of Zion, last point on the Pels, Gus, uh, the the weight clause in the contract, right? That came out last week. 
Uh, and it was talked about, well, he has to be below 295. Turns out, you know, other reports this week say that's only if he were to actually get waived, which would be the worst-case scenario. Zion's contract, at the end of the day, is very similar to that one Joel Embiid signed with Philadelphia after missing, you know, the good bit of two of the first three seasons. It protected the team, but it also paid Joel if he was going to, you know, play well and stay healthy. So, Look, I understand why the weight clause would get discussed. I understand why Zion's weight will continue to be a talking point. But just to separate fact from fiction, it's not like if he comes to camp and he weighs 296 pounds, they don't have to pay him. That's not actually what it, it states. When you get deeper into it, he only loses out on the guarantee or the quote guaranteed money if he had to be waived with some kind of injury dis- distinction and things just got so bad that he was never playing. And I think that's important. Of course, that's not really going to be talked about much this week. It's just going to continue to be about the weight. But I wanted to get that out there since everybody's just been talking a lot about Zion, who, by the way, is, uh, you know, (laughs) looking pretty shredded these days, Gus. Yeah, I think, Scott, the key that you're saying, too, is, I mean, it's just an additional part of the guaranteed money that would be available to him to that. And look, I mean, when you look at the escalators or what um, that is, I mean, wow. I mean, it's essentially he would have to be, like you said, 300 pounds. So essentially you're giving up on yourself in your career. And you can't blame the organization yeah. for not doing that as well. You want an extra 100K, I mean, you essentially just have to be a professional athlete. And that means doing all the things that it takes to be a professional like athlete. He got a, he got a personal I mean, chef. I'm sure that I'm sure that's helping. And look, and I also do think, and again, by no means am I excusing any of this, because I do think, like I said, both sides could have been better, but at the same time, you got to take the personal responsibility on your own. And, you know, you go back to what Kendrick Perkins said during that week that C.J. McCollum first became a Pelican, where he talked about, hey, man, that guy was eating two pizzas during draft, during combine week. So, look, I, I think it boils down to this he hasn't really had a full off season and camp where he's been healthy or in shape since he's been in the league. Um, you know, call it and blame it the circuit. And again, blame his representation. You know, I mean, you're going to be the number one overall pick. So, you know, you're doing all the, the, the you're doing the tour circuit, right? You're doing the talk shows, you're doing this, you're doing that. You're not working out. You didn't work out at the combine. You didn't, so, he came into Pelican's camp, or really that April, if you remember, after the draft, out of shape, which was crazy because, you know, I always reference your Twitter banner profile picture where, you know, it shows him meeting Drew Brees for the first time, and he was overweight then, but he looked, you know, like a X-Men Marvel character compared to what he was recently. So if he can get back to close to what Duke looked like, I think he's going to be really good because I've said it before, and you heard a lot of people talk about in the last couple of weeks too, that defensively, I mean, I, what was it, um, Ryan Windhorst about two weeks ago when the whole Kevin Durant thing and everything was kind of, you know, peaking a bit, he touched on the fact that he thinks Zion's going to be really good on the defensive end, and this team is built on defense. This team has 
a ton of players that want to play defense. And if you have a guy that, again, is in shape, can run, can move, can get to that corner to block the three, can do all those different aspects of it, well, then, you know, that, that's a big thing. And I think that's something that you haven't seen. And until you see that, um, you know, people are going to question it. But, again, if he's in shape, he takes care of his body, I, I think, again, everything is going to be there. And I just, you know, the injury thing, it hampers. Some people stay in shape, can stay in shape, and be in shape while they're rehabbing others, especially when it comes to, you know, lower leg injuries like he's had, it's probably tougher for him to do it. I mean, playoff Lenny is celebrating the fact he's 244 down from 260 and will get down to his playing weight, you know, Leonard Fournette. I mean, he himself says, I have a hard time, you know, staying in shape during the offseason. And for some reason, I, I balloon up. So, I mean, you got a guy that says that, you know. Um, and they, so he's not alone. But I, I think, like I said, I, I look at that contract. It is what it is, man. Same thing with McCollum. You have going rates but what it is to secure and, and, and hopefully see the expectation and projection of these players. And that's why you're signing these deals. That's why Juan Soto and baseball, Scott, Turned down four hundred and forty-four million dollars. Okay, you know, so it's 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 crazy, crazy, crazy indeed. Gus Cagnell, our guest. All right, stay tuned. Great Scott show continuing. Reminder: Brad Topham coming up at eight. We're going to talk some Major League Baseball uh, around eight thirty this morning. Some interviews I did yesterday with some Rage Cage of football players. More on that coming up. But we'll take a quick timeout when we come back. Going to talk Saints football with Gus Cagnell. And a little bit, you know, from a story a few days ago, the Dolphins' discipline and the fact that Brady wasn't and Tyron Matthew being back and Alvin Kamara and a lot to get into. Saints training camp happening. It's the Give Me All You Got Friday on the Great Scott Show. This is ESPN Lafayette, the best ticket in sports. We're right back right after this. Welcome back into the Great Scott Show. And give me all you got Friday. Gus Cattengale with us talking some Saints football now. Training camp. Tyron Matthew back on the field Wednesday. And Saints fans uh, kind of all breathe a sigh of relief there a little bit. And uh, Gus, I was I was talking to John Hendricks earlier this week. And um, when it comes to scouting, um, look, the 2020 draft, eh, at this point, I wouldn't say that it was great. I mean, you know, Cesar Ruiz, Zach Bond, Adam Troutman. But let's be real. I mean, a lot of the scouting has been very good since Jeff Ireland arrived. But in particular, in the secondary, I get that Matthew, I get that Marcus May were free agent signings. But when you, 
Gus, like everyone else in New Orleans covering this team, says that Paulson Adebo is having the best camp of everybody. When you have a Marshawn Lattimore, when you have a C.J. Gardner-Johnson, you know, a journeyman like P.J. Williams who was drafted with the previous regime, but, you know, when he's the sixth, seventh guy in the secondary that can do some multiple things, like the biggest difference between the Saints now and the Saints eight years ago is the secondary, which is crazy because eight years ago we would have said Drew Brees will be retired at that point. Now, I'm not saying that Jameis Winston is is like Drew Brees. He's not. I mean, there is a gap there. But the gap between this current secondary and what it was prior to the Jeff Ireland regime is so wide and massive. I mean, the Saints secondary is arguably, I, I would say, the deepest and, and best unit on the entire roster. And <laughs> wasn't that long ago that Brandon Browner and and, and, and and Webb and you know BW Webb and Brian Dixon and we could go on. I mean that was that was what you were working with in the secondary. And now you look at the secondary and you got a head coach that has excelled at utilizing uh players in the secondary and it went from you know not that long ago being the 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 biggest disaster on the team to the biggest strength. You do know I'm on vacation. Right? Like, why are you trying to upset my stomach and bring up Brandon Browner, Eli Apple? You remember this team traded for Eli Apple to save its season. They needed him at the time. I mean, Ken Crowley was starting, but they needed him. Yes. Yes. Um, no, look, I, I can't disagree with you. I, I think potentially the receiving group going to make a run at that statement but right now as it stands just the August uh, I don't even think it's a question. I, I had this conversation with Ross Jackson locked on Saints at practice Tuesday and brought it up on our show that if Marshawn Lattimore and Paulson Adebo had to go tie their shoe had a equipment malfunction Bradley Roby and Monte Taylor, I think, are more than capable of covering a receiver. And C.D. Deuce hadn't found a receiver he didn't think he could cover. So your backups to your starters, and you have a lot of options. And I think it's one thing that sometimes we don't think about, Scott. We, we are accustomed and understand rotations to keep legs fresh on the defensive line. A lot of times now with the packages that you have in football, you don't see that with linebackers, obviously, things like that. But I wonder if you're not going to see the Saints, you know, get snaps for Taylor, get snaps for Roby, which you saw last year, even though a Devo started. Um, look, it's a 17-game season. It's a physical game. This team, the first two weeks, one of the – you know, themes in how physical they are. I mean, we choked during the one-on-one, and basically that's why Dennis Allen was even asked about it on Tuesday, how many pass interference calls will Paulson and Evo get? Now I'm going to get into him in a little bit because he's been unbelievable. Um, but they're trying to establish a physical style of ball. And like some of the great defenses, I think if you establish that, you let the officials know that, you say that as a coach, you say, we are going to be physical one, then you can be 
the type of teams that Demario Davis said earlier in the week that they that he thinks they can be. He doesn't just think they can be the number one defense in the league. They were number four last year, and I would argue they're going to be better this year. I think they got more depth on the line. Taco Charlton, I don't need him to be the star that people wanted him to be out of college. I need him to play a couple of snaps. Um, you know, Contavious Street, that's some nice depth already there. We still haven't seen Davenport. Peyton Turner had a great start in the camp. Missed a little bit with some injury, but I still think that guy is going to be a really good player. Anyamata's not missing any time on suspension. Like, the D-line's going to be sick. And I think essentially the linebackers tackle the guys that the guys up front don't get, and the pressure that the front four is going to give you is going to make defensive backs that, I'm telling you, they're white on rice, dude. I mean, they are they're always on the hip talking to these receivers. And I think it's not even just the talent. Scott, I think the thing that they've really gone after in the secondary is players that are smart and athletic. And I go to what Traquan Smith said earlier in the week about specifically Paulson Adebo as something that really stood out to me. And he mentioned that he could see and tell as he was running the play and being covered that it's starting to click on a different level for Adebo. Specifically, he was eliminating routes as he was running his route, understanding that he's 10 yards deep now. He's not going to run a slant. Now he's 12 yards. He's not doing a cutback. So, and then he said he's starting to feel Adebo get closer to him because he figured it was only going to be one or two routes. And it's little things like that that I love hearing because I think it really allows fans to get the insight as to the, what, what these players are actually thinking during that. They're not just running out there trying to cover somebody. When you're hearing a second-year player eliminating routes as he's covering, that's, that's next level, dude. And I love DeMario Davis saying, we want to be the Steel Curtain. We want to be like that Ravens defense. We want to be the 85 Bears. We want to be, you know, the Legion of Boom. They, they want to create a legacy and be called not just the number one defense in the league, one of the best to have ever played. And I, I think that's tremendous. And he brought it up. You got a top five player likely or somebody that thinks is a top five player at every position group he thinks on this team. So he's like, it's about the hard work. It's about getting everybody to play together and go do it. So I, I think when you look at it all, man, it's pretty incredible to see what that secondary is going to be able to do this year. And it's all going to be about communication and playing together. They can, Scott, I'm telling you, they, that is as much as talented a, a secondary as I've seen because Landry, Olave, and Thomas are good. They're not jogging out there, I promise you. And they get their separation. You can see it. And the timing between he and Winston and the other guys is going to get better. But it's just the technique and what you're seeing. And they're so physical and they're so aggressive that if you get any pass rush, man, you're going to see this team pick off some balls this year. I really do think so. Gus Caggiore, Saints and Pelicans correspondent. Our guest here, great Scott Show. Give me all you got Friday ESPN Lafayette, the best ticket in sports, 1420 on the AM dial, 103.3 on the FM, streaming worldwide via the ESPN Lafayette app. So something that stood out to me that Dennis Allen said about the cornerbacks, he said, and I'm quoting him exactly here, 
part of having the corners we have is to be able to get up and press man. And then it's kind of body on body and man on man in those situations. That makes the offense have to execute a little bit crisper rather than playing a soft zone and they get some open areas underneath. That's a little bit of why we play the way we do, end quote. He wants them to be physical as hell up at the line of scrimmage, and then then it's all about coverage after that, right? That that little bit of cushion that you're going to get, make them feel it, make them feel it, and then go from there. And I think Chris Richard, the, the secondary coach, you know, uh, like – I think he said we utilize the indicators to our advantage. If we get certain looks, types of routes are coming, we're going to try to make sure we stop it. What you were talking about a minute ago in regards to Pulse and Adebo and how things are starting to click, it's just uh, I don't know that historically the Saints have ever had uh, a great secondary. Now, they've had some years where the secondary has been good. Uh, The Super Bowl season, Jabari Greer was very good. Uh, Tracy Porter was good. And, and Roman Harper and Darren Sharper were pro bowlers that year. So they've, they've had some years where they've had some here, there, but they've had plenty, right? I mean, even back in the Dome Patrol days, it was there were times where it was like, eh, you know what, Maxie and <laughs> Toy Cook and Robert Massey and, and Gene Ak- Atkins was good, but it was kind of like, man, they could be a little better. They're playing with the Dome Patrol. I, I just, I, I, it ha- the fact that it has the potential to be the best secondary in team history is a benefit. Now, I don't want to be all, you know me, Gus. I mean, I, I can't just be all peaches and cream. What unit on the team is in your mind right now here on August the 5th, the most concerning for the Saints right now? I think, Scott, I would probably say, even though if I had to prove, I mean, just based off of, elimination it, it's probably the linebackers I mean I know Demario Davis is a stud um, I know they like Werner I think Werner's a solid linebacker but is he can you know if, if Demario Davis isn't playing is there another star right. that yeah Warner Caden Ellis I mean if something were to happen to Davis it feels like yeah. it would be a disaster I, mean, look, I, I saw you know, Tuesday at practice was the Mario Davis's veteran day off. So it was Caden Ellis um, and Pete Warner didn't do team drills. It was Ellis and I think Andrew Dow was, was part of it as well. And bottom line is it was a pedestrian linebacking unit. I'm not being disrespectful, but it's not your starters. And again, <laughs> there, there weren't very many completions. So it's the strength of that D-line putting the pressure the ball, had to get out, James Winston's rolling right, things of that nature. But again, the thing is, some of the completions that he did have were over the middle, and that was the linebacker being covered. So I would say that that is a unit that I am concerned about in terms of depth. I'm not saying that they're not capable of making a player or a tackle and stuff, but star quality, star player sort of thing, I still think that's an area, man, if you can upgrade eventually – to have a guy again, it's why a lot of Saints fans love Juan Alexander because of athleticism. I, I just don't think you can replace athleticism and and ability to make plays. So I know there's a lot of confidence in Werner. I know there's a lot of confidence on what he can do in helping Demario Davis. Um, but yeah, I would say that. And if there's a concern, it's more of a 
I'm curious to see the communication aspect of it because last weekend the big bomb to Chris Olave was a you know a coverage breakdown where BJ Williams and whoever I think it might have been Lattimore is what Sean Suzanne eventually determined was a coverage breakdown. But I also think you're going to see a lot of that against offense, Scott, because it's kind of kind of it's two ways to look at it. You can say the communication at safety is something I'm going to keep an eye on especially with Tyron Matthews just getting to camp. Now, he's a vet. He knows how to play defense. It's like we're going to have, you know, overcomplicated calls and things of that nature. So, I think they'll figure it out with me, Marcus May. But you need time on task and you need snaps. But I think what you're going to see is teams have to pick and they have to choose. And if James can read a defense and learn to, you know, put a little touch on these fastballs that he's throwing – I don't know how you stop the Saints offense. I really honestly don't. I mean, you're going to have to choose. Somebody's going to be one-on-one. And I'm telling you, ain't nobody in this league that's not a number one corner going to lock down 12. Chris Olave is going to be sick this year. Jarvis Landry just can get open. He's that big targeting. Reminds me of Colston, Eric Barton from back in the day. Not very tall and, and lanky. Just a thick going to position himself and get open and not drop anything, man. And, and Michael Thomas, I made the comment this week, I, I think he, he looks as fast as I've ever seen. And, and like, before it was, you know, he, he was good, he just didn't have that speed. I think he got faster. And a lot of the reason is the, the graph was sitting next to me on Monday and he says he looks leaner. And he is. He is thinner. So he's lighter. So, you know, not to go into civics or not civics, physics, a lighter body should be able to move faster. So I, I think that's the thing you're going to see, though. I think you're going to see a lot of communication breakdown because, you know, Todd and I were talking about it last Saturday during one of these practices where the fans are out there. You know what's an afterthought at all of this? It's been Alvin Kamara. Like, no one's talking about him. The guy that can score six touchdowns a game. No one's talking about him. Well, the they're, last, talking about, they're talking about his court date, but, you know. Right, exactly. Well, in the last two years, you've had – you know, Drew Brees' arm has hindered his ability because people can play tighter to the line of scrimmage. And you had a horrible receiving core last year. So I would have fired my defensive coordinator if the game plan on Monday is that everybody is going to 41. Like, I don't respect the, you know, the receiving core at all. You can't do that this year. The linebackers in the safeties, have to keep an eye on 80, on 12, on 13. Troutman's catching the ball. When Hill comes back, you got to pay attention to the tight end. Oh, by the way, there's 41 in the back backfield. I mean, and you put him one-on-one with the linebacker, you're going to see big plays from Kamara this year. The space in the field is going to be cleared so much more because you have receivers like a separation. You're going to have so many other opportunities that you're that you know he hasn't like against Tampa, you know Levante David and Kevin and, and Devin White can't you know just at the snap of the ball run where Kamara is because if they do, they're going to get beat for a touchdown on a deep cross. It's that simple. It, just that little bit of as the play is unfolding, to to the, the ability to keep a guy like Devin White thinking is huge. And last year, and I'm telling you, the year before that, that guy ain't thinking. 
that guy's like, where are we going? Yeah. I mean, well, I mean, to, to make all that happen, you're going to have to get good production from your offensive line. Ramchek's going to do it. McCoy's going to do it. Pete and Ruiz, we'll see. Hurst, okay, but he's not the long-term um, answer there, at least not by what team's hoping. They're hoping that's Trevor Penning. I call him Big Nasty. Is there going to be a day of training camp he doesn't get into some kind of scuffle? I mean, this dude, he's, listen, uh, trial by fire. I know they're kind of throwing him out there, and, and he's he's struggling to adjust at times, but Man, I mean, if you want to tick off your teammates, I get it's not supposed to be hunky-dory in training camp, but he's definitely living up to the reputation as far as uh, as far as you know, maybe getting a little nasty after the whistle. And we're just we're just in training camp right now. Yeah, look, I, and I think it's funny you've had a lot of fans kind of say, "Hey, kind of reminds them of Turley and things of that nature." I, I like it. I think the other thing I noticed this week at practice was um, the veterans know that, and and. It's kind of trial by fire. They're they're purposely going in there. So you, you see guys like JT Gray, you know, afterwards shove them, trying to see what is limited. And I think the coaching staff. I go back to some of those, you know, hard knock episodes. Remember when Rex Ryan was the coach and he told a, a player go in there and start a fight. Go start a fight I, with not, Vernon Golson. He didn't really do anything. Golson still I'm, wasn't good, but yeah, he he wanted Ver. He wanted just to see if Vernon would fight. That's what they're doing you, per you se. Do that for Penny. But I guarantee you an opposing team's defensive line coach is going to say, you can get 15 yards off this guy. You know? I mean, CD do stuff it for the Saints. So I think they're trying to kind of baptize them here of what's going to happen and see what that limit is. And, you know, in that way, when he reacts, Doug Marone goes, hey, you can't do that. I mean, on Tuesday's practice, he got into it with, you know, Patchen and um, – they pulled him out. He had to do push-ups, and then he got back in. So I think I love what I'm seeing in that you have Streif, you have Jari Evans, who's now an intern coach, and then you have Doug Marone. I think you have three very good heads on their shoulders to mentor and get this guy ready for that next level. Yeah, yeah, it, it's it's trial by fire. You don't You don't need to goat the guy into fighting. He'll do it. It's just a matter of... Like you said, uh, test the limit, right? And, you know, he's still raw and, and he's got a ways to go, but he's definitely one of those uh, training camp storylines. All right, uh, let's wrap it up, Gus. Last thing, Dolphins discipline earlier this week. Um, you know, uh, lost a first rounder, a third rounder. I know they have other picks they got from other teams, but uh, they the owner got a fine, all this stuff. I think... One takeaway was, wait a minute, you know, it's one thing to call a, a coach's agent in January, but to have a player on a yacht while they're still under contract with another team go after him twice, like Tom Brady getting no suspension at all, the owner getting a little bit, the NFL saying, oh, as far as the tanking thing goes, he was just joking. I mean, was there, it was, it, th- that whole thing was just full in, it was, it was, not surprising at all, but very problematic, depending on how you look at it, right? And then we'll let you run. There's an emoji for it, isn't there? <laughs> the the brown emoji. Um, dude, I, the NFL has an integrity problem. The fact that they did that in their statement to the Dolphins was violating the integrity of the game is a joke. Because they themselves are doing it. 
And if you remember, Scott, on our show we talked about it uh, when you come on Wednesdays and brought it up on yours as well during the Daniel Snyder thing. You know, when that story came out and he refuses to show up to, you know, Congress and the day that Goodell testified and all that came out about him digging up all that dirt on NFL people that were doing the investigations, on NFL personnel, on reporters. I mean, that's the kind of stuff, Scott, I want to say you could probably get in trouble criminally. You know, I mean, going overseas to have another judge be able to subpoena or or approve the fact that I can look at phone records. I mean, I I don't think fans understand that or paid attention because it had nothing to do with the Saints. But Daniel Snyder was finding ways and got a hold of reporters that covered his football team's phone records so he could go through text messages to try to find dirt to blackmail these reporters that were covering his football team. And this guy still owns a football team. And it's, I mean, it's, it's unbelievable to me. And he's being looked at, and mind you, the league investigated the allegations of sexual misconduct and cameras in the Redskin cheerleader locker rooms and all of that. And then the NFL found nothing. They found nothing, Scott. Not a fine, not, not a nothing. Not a, not, we didn't see anything in all those emails that they got. The emails that got John Gruden fired. I'm not excusing what he said, but that's why he got fired. In the communication of the emails, the league found out somebody leaked it. So he ticked off somebody. They saw it. They leaked it. But it was that set of emails that John Gruden got found. Well, they got rid of those emails. They never released it. And that's what triggered Congress to look into them because they went, wait a minute. You investigated all of that and you said you found nothing and you got rid of everything? That's why Congress is looking into it. It might be some fans going, why are they even bothering? It's because of this. So you have a league that burned the tape when it came to the Patriots. You have a league that had to appear like they were doing something to limit football players from serious head injuries, so they came down on the Saints. Sean Payton's criminal words in their mind, get your ducks in a row. Those words got him suspended for a year, plus a fine, plus the Saints general manager being, you know, Mickey Loomis being suspended for half a season, the team being fined a million dollars. All of that based off of ducks in a row. And you're going to tell me an owner says, you know, our draft position is better if we we lose games. Here's $100,000 if you lose the game this week. Owners are always joking about that kind of stuff with their coaches, you know, right? Exactly. (laughs) Exactly. Here's the other thing. You're telling me, that in the most egregious thing you've ever seen, blatant tampering, they, they're going to use some sort of morality now and say, no, nah, I didn't mean that when I said I'd, you know, I'd pay you to lose games. I mean, come on, man. But it boils down to this. Scott. The NFL can't admit it. No, no. They, they, they could never admit something like that. And there's a reason that they released – Right. They released Busters all of stuff. that. At, I mean, you, you, you think it always can be like, wait a minute, I'm paying. Listen. Expect you guys the, are trying to win and you're purposely losing. Right. The tampering aspect of Tom Brady and Sean Payton was a different investigation than the stuff that Brian Flores brought to light. 
right, the, the, the accusations there, which the NFL said, well, it actually happened. He did say these things, but he didn't mean it. But the reason you, you let all that out in a single report is because then the headline's more about the punishment, Tom Brady, who, by the way, gets no punishment at all, as if, as if, it, as if the Dolphins were just tampering with themselves. But, like, it's, that becomes more of the talking point. And then this other stuff doesn't – if they had only released each one separately in the findings of it, it's not all lumped together. And it's like, wait a minute, they just released a thing saying, yeah, the owner said this to the former coach, but he was just joking around. No, they do it all at once. There's always a reason to it. There's always PR. Look more into it. Gus, we got to let you run, man. You're on your way to the beach with the family. Have a great vacation. And uh, as always, man, really, really appreciate you taking the time, my friend. Not a problem. Say bye, everybody. Bye, guys. Have fun at the beach. <laughs> Thanks, brother. Good stuff from Gus Cattengale. When we come back, little Seamhead segment, little Major League Baseball talk. Brad Topham joins me. We'll get into contenders versus pretenders. I'll hand them out, you know, some list of teams, contender, pretender, because I feel like there are a lot of contenders this year. Later on in the show, Raging Cajun football player interviews that I had yesterday. Uh, we'll play some of that for you. You'll hear some more next week as well. And uh, some open phone lines later as well. 337-269-1077. It is a Gimme All You Got Friday on the Great Scott Show. It's ESPN Lafayette, the best ticket in sports. Don't go anywhere. What you, what you, what you want? 